Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi, and welcome to the latest episode of Germany in Focus, the locals' weekly podcast all about the big talking points and life in Germany. Today, we're going to hear about how Germans celebrate the Advent tradition in the run-up to Christmas. We're going to look into why train passengers are facing lots of problems on the network at the moment, and we'll give some tips on travelling by train in Germany. There's a timetable change coming up soon that we'll tell you about. We're also going to give you a quick update on the so-called Citizens Allowance long-term unemployment row that we talked about last week and share more about who's entitled to unemployment benefits in Germany. Next, we'll break down how the school system works and we'll hear from journalist James Jackson, who recently sparked a bit of a storm on social media when he said that the German education system contributes to social inequality. And lastly, I'm going to test our panellists here in the podcast studio on a few mock German citizenship questions. So if you apply to become German, you have to take an exam to test your knowledge of Germany. And you, our listeners, can test yourself at home while you're listening. I'm Rachel Loxton, and I'm here with the local Germany's editor, Rachel Stern, and journalist Aaron Burnett in Berlin. Hello, everyone. Hey, Rach. Hello. How are you both doing? Pretty good, pretty good. Pretty excited. We uh, Welcome to Rachel Stern. We now have uh, a majority, at least for this podcast, of North American accents. We do. Yeah. Um, Rachel, yes, this is your first time on the Germany in Focus podcast. So, yes, welcome to you. Thanks. Happy to be here. Yeah, And you're from California. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I've been living in Berlin for a little over 10 years now. Excellent. Is there anything you really miss about the States? Well, when I first moved here, I really missed the sunny weather and good Mexican food. But both of those things have been coming to Berlin over the past 10 years. So I don't have so many things other than my family that I miss that much. Great stuff. And we're recording this on Wednesday, November 23rd. So we have the first Advent Sunday coming up this weekend on November 27th. So Advent begins on the fourth Sunday before Christmas every year. Aaron, can you tell us anything else about how this festive tradition is marked in Germany? Well, I don't know about you, but for my own social media, there's always this debate about when you can start celebrating Christmas every year. When can I buy a tree? When can I decorate? When can I play Mariah Carey? The controversial Christmas questions, really, right? (laughs) And Germany seems to have a built-in answer for this with Advent or the start of Advent. That's when the season really kicks off for most people, when they start shopping, when they start baking goodies, when they start decorating. Two small things you'll see a lot. First up are Advent wreaths. So these have four candles, uh, typically either red or white, and every Sunday you light the next one. So the first Sunday, you light just one, 
and then the next Sunday too, and so on and so on. And Advent Sundays are particularly significant, of course, for Christian churches here in Germany, and congregations will typically light these wreaths during services alongside prayers or hymns marking the occasion. One common one is, uh, I quote here, one, then two, then three, then four, then Christkind is standing at your door, or... Christ child, directly translated. So whether religious or not, Advent in Germany really is a season of anticipating Christmas's uh, arrival. Oh, that's such a lovely tradition. And it means, yes, you can start celebrating Christmas before December starts because the first Advent is at the end of November this year. That's right. It always depends on the year, though. So you always have to check which Sunday is fourth back from Christmas. I think it's in December next year. But you can pick up Advent calendars around this time of year. That's another thing you'll see a lot of, where you open a new door every day and there's a chocolate waiting for you. You can get those at many a German supermarket. They are already selling them. Yeah, and they usually start on December 1st, don't they, running up? Yeah, exactly, regardless of when Advent actually starts, (laughs) really. But, um, and... And finally, uh, some Christmas markets are indeed already open, but a good number of them choose the beginning of Advent as the time to set up their stalls and start pouring that hot glue vine. I'm looking forward to that. Oh, me too. No, I've already had a few, but yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Good to get an early start. Looking forward to more. Okay, let's move on now to train travel. Undeniably, a great way to get around Germany and further afield in Europe. But passengers using long-distance trains, and especially when travelling through or from the most populous state in Germany, which is North Rhine-Westphalia, are facing a tough few weeks. Rachel, could you tell us what's going on that's making train travel a bit harder at the moment, particularly in this part of Germany? So there are a few factors at play here. At the Cologne Messe Deut station, there are eight new sleeper trains being installed, and that's meant that there's been a lot of diversions um, and a lot of trains that have either been delayed or cancelled. So you'll want to check the timetable at Deutsche Bahn and also in the local Rhein-Ruhr trains to see what the routes are looking like. And there have also been been an abnormally high number of employees at this time of year who are taking sick leave. And Deutsche Bahn said in a statement that in the past they've had backup workers, but those workers are getting sick as well. So that's meant that a lot of trains have been cancelled at the last minute. And Deutsche Bahn estimates that there will be regional delays until at least December 12th. So if you're planning on traveling in the region, it's a really good idea to check before you travel on the Deutsche Bahn app or also the Rhein-Ruhr website or app. Okay, so a lot of regional problems there. Are there any big problems elsewhere in Germany when it comes to long-distance trains? Yeah, so on the other side of the country, um, in northern Germany, in a small town called Gifhorn, there was a collision of two freight trains that took place last Thursday. One of the freight trains made a normal stop at a traffic light, and the other one didn't see that train and actually crashed into it from behind. And the train that crashed uh, was carrying highly explosive propane gas. And so that meant that they had to call an emergency cleanup crew. The area is still being cleaned up. And a lot of big 
train routes um, have been diverted. Most notably, there's been um, some trains that have been traveling from Cologne to Berlin, and they're expecting that there will be disruptions until at least November 27th. And I should also mention, Rach, that there's been a little bit of spillover onto the Hamburg-Munich route as well. So even passengers who are traveling to down south in Germany might notice that there's been a lot of delayed trains. So definitely be sure to check out if there are any cancellations. And if so, uh, see if you can get either a refund or change your ticket. Excellent. Thanks for that update. And so Deutsche Bahn is bringing in a new timetable from December 12th. Aaron, what are some of the changes we should know about? Well, the biggest development is simple. More trains. The first and newest generation of ICE 3 Neo trains are coming online. They travel up to 300 kilometers an hour, and that means more services on more trains. Now, these are the same ones that Rachel was just talking about being installed that are causing delays. <laughs> but <laughs> after that's resolved, first up, the, those trains will start on the Cologne to Frankfurt route. Cologne to Munich will also be running hourly soon. Mm-hmm. And getting to Frankfurt Airport from certain cities will also get easier. So there'll be more direct services from Münster, Bremen, Osnabrück, Munich, and Augsburg. And seating capacity on these routes is set to go up by about 60%. So a lot more seats available. We'll also see some more services in the east of Germany. So Dresden is getting a train leaving every two hours from Mainz via Leipzig, Halle, Magdeburg, Cologne, Bonn, and Koblenz. And plus, Magdeburg itself is getting a new direct daily connection to Berlin. Good to know. So more routes, more seats, more trains. Sounds good. Any other new services? Uh, So night train enthusiasts rejoice. We are looking at a night train service starting up from Vienna to Zurich, stopping in both Prague and Berlin. Starting in March, we're also seeing a sixth train added to the Berlin-Warsaw route. So another bit of capacity there. And finally, extensions. The current Dortmund to Stuttgart route is now going to be soon extended to Augsburg and Ulm in Bavaria. Good information. And and so what will the train situation look like over Christmas, Aaron? I imagine it's going to be very busy. Well, this timetable is really designed to kick in uh, to deal with the Christmas rush. Deutsche Bahn is also expected to add about 800 new staff by December 24th. So hopefully that will alleviate some of the staffing issues that Rachel was just noting just now. Mm-hmm. Uh, bosses say they're ready for the rush and that the roads will probably be worse. So train is still a good alternative, those fighting words, uh, <laughs> but still plan ahead. Great. And we've been writing about some tips that people should think about when it comes to train travel in Germany over the festive season. Aaron, can you share some advice? Uh, Book as far in advance as you can, if you can. Prices do go up closer to the travel date. And if you can, try booking before December 11th, because although the new timetable comes into force then, so do the new prices. And we're looking at about a 5% 
average increase. Definitely book a seat. And if you don't mind traveling at an off-peak time, that might help save you some headaches. Uh, You don't want to be on that Friday afternoon train between Berlin and Frankfurt right before Christmas if you can help not being on it. Mm -hmm. No way. And to add on to that, Erin, I would advise families, especially those traveling with young children, to book a Familienbereich, which is a family room. It costs nine euros extra, and it gives you plenty of room, basically your own compartment where you can store a pram. There's a lot of colorful books and toys that are built in. And if you're traveling a long ways, then it keeps your kid occupied. And it also means that you're in your own enclosed space, which is pretty nice. (laughs) Oh, nice. And Rachel, you have a lovely little 16-month-year-old daughter. Have you traveled um, long distance trains with her? I have reached. So I traveled Berlin to Munich, and then I also traveled this busy Berlin-Frankfurt route that Erin mentioned. And I must say it was a lifesaver because she was happy and occupied for the bulk of the journey. Sounds like nine euros well spent, moms and dads. Okay, so we talked last week about the German government's plans to overhaul the long-term unemployment system known as Hartz Fear and bring in Bürgergeld or Citizens Allowance. Those plans hit a wall because the states ultimately voted against it. But this week, it appears there is some kind of solution. Aaron, can you tell us what the latest developments are? So we are going to see Bürgergeld in Germany, Rach. Uh, But the opposition Christian Democrats were able to water down some of the key proposals that the current government wanted. So originally, the governing traffic light uh, parties wanted to have a system where unemployment claimants didn't have to take just any job. To quote them. So they proposed a six-month grace period on sanctions to help with this. So if you didn't end up applying for a job that your caseworker had flagged for you, or you didn't show up to an appointment, the idea was that you couldn't be sanctioned or have your benefits docked for the first six months that you were on those benefits. Now, the CDU strongly opposed this, and they managed to get that grace period thrown out. So you can be sanctioned right away. The compromise is supported by all major parties, So it can clear both the Bundestag and the Bundesrat to come into effect by January 1st, as originally planned. So this is uh, a little more harsh than planned then? Yes, this didn't quite go into the vision that MPs from the three governing parties were hoping for. Some of them are quite disappointed. Others are saying this is an improvement on what we've had before, so we should welcome it. And we should note that this is one type of unemployment benefit, but there are two in Germany that people might qualify for. Aaron, could you maybe explain a bit more about that? Sure, Rach. So what we've been talking about is Bürgergeld, and that will replace the current Hatzfia, also known, in case you didn't have enough uh, names to keep track of, as <laughs> Unemployment Benefit Two. Very original. Yeah, yes, exactly. <laughs> Very sequential. Welcome to Germany. What's important to note here, as the name suggests, it's a kind of a second tier unemployment benefit for people who don't qualify for the first tier. And the first tier is simply called, very imaginatively, Unemployment Benefit 1. To get that, you generally have to have been working and paying into the German social insurance system for at least 12 of the last 30 months on the day you became unemployed. And you need to register uh, with your local unemployment office right away, typically the same day. 
Okay, good to know. So that's Arbeitslosengeld 1 oder 2. Yeah, and you got to gotta get to your got to get to that office, right? Yeah, get right. to the job center. Exactly. If you fulfill that criteria, you'll be entitled to 60% of your previous average wage, uh, 67% if you have kids, up to a certain maximum. It's a pretty high maximum. It's around uh, seven grand a month, depending on where you live. Uh, of course, not all of us would see that if we ever claimed this, but there is, there is a ceiling. So how long can you get the unemployment benefit one? Well, that depends on how long you were paying into the social insurance system previously. It is fairly complex. It can depend uh, also on your age in some cases. Older workers tend to have a higher, more more entitlement. But for example, if you were paying in to social insurance for 12 months, you'll get that benefit unemployment one for six months. So 60% of your salary, 67% if you have kids. If you were paying into social insurance for 24 months at the time that you became unemployed, then you're entitled to that benefit for a full year. If you haven't found a job by the time you run out, you then become eligible from the new year for Bogogeld. Excellent. And we'll include uh, links to stories about this in the show notes. We'll be back after this short break. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Let's dig into how the education system works in Germany. Now, it's been a topic of discussion on Twitter in the last week or so. That's because journalist James Jackson posted a a tweet arguing that Germany's low social mobility is linked to the education system. He specifically called out this special feature that means at the end of primary school, children are funneled off into different secondary schools, depending on various factors. We'll hear from James in a moment. Rachel, first of all, Can you tell us a bit more about how the school system works in Germany? Yeah, right. So as you mentioned, there's the primary school, which in German is called Grundschule, and children typically stay there until the fourth grade, although in Berlin and Brandenburg, they stay there until the sixth grade, and then they're funneled into a few different types of schools. There's the Hauptschule or the Realschule, and both of those are a bit more vocational and hands-on, although the Realschule, it gives children the chance to 
transfer later on to a gymnasium, and the gymnasium is a more academically oriented school, I guess typical to American high school. And so students can also go directly there after the fourth or the sixth grade, and it prepares them for what most Germans know of as the Abi or the Abitur, and that's a final entrance exam to get into a university. And then because education in Germany is decentralized and left up to the states, a lot of states in recent years have been introducing uh, what's called the Gesamtschule, and that combines all of these schools together, the Hauptschule, Realschule, and Gymnasium. And it also allows students to take the Abi or just to go directly into a vocational trade. By law, students have to stay in school until the age of 16. Um, so if they're in the Hauptschule or the Realschule, then they can go directly into a trade or into the working world, whereas if they're in a gymnasium, then they'll stick around until the 12th or even the so-called 13th grade until they take this abbey, which will then allow them to go on to the university. And how old are they around then? Uh, usually around 19. And what are some of the positives of this system? That's a really good question, Rach. So in the U.S., a lot of people complain that they have to go through this very academic system um, and are maybe forced to get a degree they don't need just to go into something that's more vocational, whereas in Germany, students are prepared uh, directly to go into the labor force. And because Germany does have a large Mittelstand, a large system, of small and medium businesses and companies. I think it's a really good way for them to uh, receive access and training for that system at an early age so that they don't have to wait until you know, their mid-20s to start working. Okay, and just quickly, how does education in Germany compare to other countries in Europe? Do we have data on that? Yeah, we do. So just to talk about the structure, a lot of schools in Europe are simply the primary and secondary school, and that's that. So the German system is pretty unique with all of these different tracks that students can take. However, the data shows that it really works to their advantage. Um, German students are outperforming the OECD average. They're scoring especially high in math and science. However, their scores on this test haven't really shown significant progress since 2009, and they're still trailing behind other European countries like our northern neighbors, Estonia and Finland, and also the Netherlands, and they're trailing very far behind Asian countries. So there's a lot of progress that can still be made. Okay. Let's hear now from freelance journalist James Jackson, who covers Germany and Central Eastern Europe. I asked him to share why he believes the education system in Germany plays a large role in lower social mobility. So yeah, actually, quite surprisingly, Germany has very, very low social mobility across a number of different measures. So in terms of education, if you have parents in Germany that are both academics, it's very likely that you will go on to be an academic, as in someone who goes to university. But then on the flip side, if neither of your parents went to university, it's a very, very small percentage that actually do go on. When it comes to income as well, Germany is actually the second worst, when it, according to OECD figures, of who's going to rise to the top if you come from a poor family. So mm -hmm. 
they're just behind the United States on that figure. And then in terms of the influence of your parental background on how well you do, they're number four in Europe, but they're the worst in Europe in terms of being able to rise from the bottom to the top. So it's not what many people have in mind when they think of Germany, but what the OECD and also previously PISA, who track educational achievement across different countries, what they have blamed it on is number one, the gymnasium system. So the gymnasium system, or sometimes called the three-member system, is like a really strict form of streaming that you get in Germany, where at age 11, and it's going to be happening at the end of this month, most children will receive either a letter saying they are recommended to go to the gymnasium, which is the more academic school, where you go on to do Arbitur, which is sort of like A-levels, and with that you can more easily get into university or you don't get it. And I think what surprised me the most about the German school system is actually the fact that it's not based on, for example, an exam. In the UK, we had the 11 plus to get into grammar schools. So that was actually kind of abolished, mostly because it's still quite unfair and it still benefits richer families, because then you can afford to get private tuition, you can afford to get extra help your parents might have more of an education themselves. So in, in terms of like making society more fair and, and diverse and giving people from all kinds of backgrounds a chance to get an education, uh, I think the comprehensive education system that we have in the UK, it, that's kind of the goal. Whereas in Germany, the goal is to separate you and to make you do what is supposedly be your best at, which I can see an argument for, but it's then based entirely just on the teacher's impressions. And of course, when you're 11, which is very young. So when I was 11, I was very hyperactive. I doubt I would have got it. I went on to do better at school at different age points. But mm -hmm. um, of course, you can, you can swap between the different schools, whether you go to gymnasium or uh, Realschule or Hauptschule, getting different kinds of qualifications. But it is quite, it's very influential. Okay, interesting. So you kind of called this out on Twitter, mentioning the figures and talking about the, the school system. What has been the reaction to that? I think it's safe to say that the, the reaction was pretty mixed. I got quite a lot of people, which I really liked, quite a lot of people sharing their experiences of not getting a recommendation from gymnasium, mostly people... Of, Ger of Germans. Of Germans, yeah, of Germans. So, But most of them were, were non-Bio-Deutsch. You know, they had a migrant background, we call it over here. And mm -hmm. a lot of them didn't get the recommendation, but then went on to do PhD or something like that. And that's actually one of the, the things that got me thinking about this originally, because the same thing happened to Uya Shaheen, who was the founder of BioNTech and who created the COVID vaccine, the first COVID vaccine. So he, clearly a genius, did not get a recommendation to get into the, the normal kind of academic school system. You know, it's quite interesting. I think I wonder what happened there. But in the end, he got it because his parents were immigrants, probably didn't know how to negotiate the, the school system. He got it because a local neighbor who was a white German went on to you know, advocate on his behalf. And this story came out a few years ago. It wasn't anything new. And at the time, a lot of people said, you know, be like this neighbor, stand up for your immigrant neighbors or something like that. And I, I think that actually sort of misses the point because as fantastic and the, the amazing consequences that this kindness had, the problem is the system. And the problem is that you're giving teachers who have all of the same flaws as normal individuals you're giving them the power to decide someone's life more or less effectively decide someone's life at age 11 but i got so much backlash it's unbelievable really really a lot of, a lot of people who had phds or who were trained teachers or whatever felt really called out by this what a lot of people said and i understand this point is that in germany you can earn decent money as a manual laborer and that's fantastic the income inequality is actually pretty good here it's just social mobility is so bad but it's good that people can make a good living without going to university, but why should that be determined by who your parents are? 
should be determined by what you like and what you're good at. So why don't, if you do ha- want to have these different school systems, why don't you let the children choose when they're a bit older, for example? Mm-hmm. And have German politicians said anything about this school system? Do you think this kind of topic is high up on the agenda or anywhere on the agenda in Germany? It's absolutely not on the agenda because in the past it was on the agenda and there was just such a massive backlash. One potential reform uh, is mm-hmm. the Gesamtschule model, which means bring them together. It's basically a comp, a comprehensive school where everyone stays together. And they did bring them in into most German states, I think in the in the sort of 70s and 80s. And it was a big progressive social movement, but they hit so much backlash from parents who wanted their kids to basically be separate and special. And that in most states, they've now shut down. And in the ones that remain, it's quite small. And it's not on political agenda because it's political suicide. It's like 40% of people who go to gymnasium and they have a lot of social capital, they have a lot of money. So these are basically, as a politician, people you don't want to piss off. On the other hand, I was almost surprised that more like working class people didn't have it. It's, it's often the children of immigrants, many of whom can't vote. So they're not a particularly desirable political constituency. But I, I, I am surprised that there's not more of a, a movement. I mean, some in the Berlin Greens and the more kind of progressive uh, groups of the Greens and the left party, they do it, but very quietly because they're quite afraid of poking the hornet's nest like I did. Yes. Uh, yeah, that is so interesting. So what do you think personally needs to change? Do you think maybe with the plan changes to dual citizenship laws, for example, where more people will get a chance to vote, do you think it will come up again in future, this topic? I think if this topic is going to come up again, it's going to have to come from the people. It's going to have to come from a movement to change this. And that movement isn't really there. It could change, actually, uh, with dual citizenship. I like that idea. What should happen? Listen, I'm not a specialist in education. I've just read the research of other people who are and they're pretty unanimous this doesn't work well in terms of providing equal opportunities for everyone in the past it didn't even work well academically in 2008 there was something called the pisa shock where germany saw that actually they're, they're very proud of their education call it the land of dichter and denker but their school system was not up to scratch it was very low in the european ranking what they've done since then is they've turned it around quite admirably and are doing very well in terms of reading mathematics but the social mobility is still very low. So they've increased the average, which is great, but the inequality is still there. James, thank you so much. That was really interesting to hear your points of view there. Thanks for having me. Okay, so what what do you think, Aaron? Well, I know James, and we spoke a lot about the reaction to his Twitter thread. It really hit a nerve for many people. Uh, German education is a big feature of German culture. Uh, Some Germans take a lot of pride in it, actually. And it can bring out a lot of emotions uh, in people, even when they're presented with all of the data suggesting that Germany doesn't have great social mobility. I know myself, though, as a dual German-Canadian national who wasn't a particularly good student until basically age 16, I often wonder if I would have achieved what I would have or what I have academically had I gone uh, to the German system, um, given that I didn't develop into until very late academically, there is, um, I'm not sure I would have, there is a way that you can go from one school into another. For example, if you are in Hauptschule or Realschule and then you want to transfer into Gymnasium. I do know someone who did this and his story uh, recounts, it was a very bureaucratic and sometimes very painful exercise to do that, but it is possible. Yeah, and to be honest, when I was in primary school, I didn't care at all about my grades. I just wanted to be playing and having fun. So I don't know if I would have ended up at a top university had my track been decided for me so early on. Yeah, age 11. Age 11, yeah. quite early. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, thank you both. Our Germany in Focus podcast is totally free to listen to, but it's only made possible by people becoming members of the local Germany. If you're not yet a member, you can support us by heading to thelocal.de and subscribing with the reduced rate for podcast listeners at thelocal.de forward slash podcast offer. Many of our listeners will be considering applying to become German, especially since there is due to be a law change coming up that will relax the rules. And you can listen to previous episodes where we've gone into detail on this. So if you apply for German citizenship by naturalization, you have to pass some tests, including a language exam and a special citizenship test known in German as Einbürgerungstest. We at The Local Germany have a mock-up test with a few examples of questions that we will share in the show notes for you. There are 33 multiple choice questions in the exam. Usually they are in German, but we've translated them to English for you and you need to score 17 out of 33 to pass. And I thought it'd be fun to test our lovely panelists here on a few of the sample questions just to see how they get on. First of all, have either of you done this test before? I haven't, Rach, although I'm in the process of applying for German citizenship, so this should be good practice for me. Well, well, I was born into a German family in Canada, and I've been a dual from birth, so I haven't done this test, and I don't have to, so I'm a bit nervous, if I'm honest. I mean, what happens, you know, if I do poorly? (laughs) Do you you want my passport, Rachel? (laughs) Rachel, don't look. Rachel's looking at the question. No, no, I'm just turning in this direction, coincidentally. Yeah, okay, well, let's see. Let's see how you get on as a German, Aaron, and uh, Rachel is a would-be German soon. I do know someone who's done this test. She told me the first question she had was, what does the EU stand for? So Wow, that's so German. One, one <laughs> tip for our listeners. Are you automatically disqualified if you get it wrong? No, I don't think so. I think you, it's <laughs> 17 out of 33. Yeah, exactly. Okay, let's, let's go for it then. Question one, who was the first chancellor of the Federal Republic of Germany? Is it Ludwig Erhard, Willy Brandt, Konrad Adenauer? Or Gerhard Schroeder? What do you both think? Well, that would be Konrad Adenauer. I would have to say the same as well. Konrad Adenauer was the first chancellor of the Federal Republic of Germany. He was in office from 1949 to 1963. You're absolutely right. But the bonus question is who's been the longest running chancellor of Germany? Oh, uh, Helmut Kohl. Yes. Yeah. Really? How many years was he chancellor? Uh, Slightly more than 16. Yeah. Slightly more than 16. So you actually did get the citizenship question right, both of you, Conrad Adenauer. For the longest running chancellor, that was Helmut Kohl. So both Kohl and Merkel had 16 years, but Helmut Kohl was in office for basically just a couple of weeks longer yeah. than Merkel. So it was very, very close. I think he beat her by like two weeks or something like that. Exactly. I think if, if she had made like Christmas or something, yeah. she would have beaten him. She had to be in office until 19th of December last year. Right. And she had, to, she had to leave office on December 8th. Almost there, 11 days. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's um, very close. Okay, question two, well done. Which festival do people in Germany wear colorful costumes and masks? Is it Rosenmontag, May Day, Oktoberfest, or Pfingsten, which is Pentecost? 
I would say the first option was in Montauk. Is this a trick question? Because it seems like you'll find those things at all of them. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> you'll find those on Oktoberfest too, really. But, but yeah, I would I would say the same. Rules in Montauk is most yeah most associated. Well done, both of you. You're absolutely right. Right before Carnival, we should add. That's yeah. What it's, in, it's in is. Carnival. It's like the highlight of of Carnival. It takes place on the Shrove Monday before Ash Wednesday and people usually get dressed up in like clown costumes and as we mentioned previously carnival is a, a big a big event okay question three what school subject is optional in Germany until the child turns 14 is it politics history language or religious studies well we were just talking about the German school system that neither one of us <laughs> grew up in so this is maybe a hard one but yeah I'd, I'd like to say that it's language I'm gonna guess religious studies ooh so you're going separate ways on this we are one. yeah okay Sorry, Rachel. <laughs> please now I'm curious what the I know which one of us is gonna take it well Aaron I can tell you that you're right because it's religious studies Oh, wow. Fantastic. Okay, question four. Who wrote the lyrics to the German national anthem? Was it Friedrich von Schiller, Clemens Brentano, Johann Wolfgang von Goethe, or August Heinrich Hoffmann von Fallersleben? All right. This is this is a hard one. I, I you know I know the I know the lyrics to the national anthem, but as to who wrote it. So process of elimination. Um, I mean, you know, we can have artists that are multi talented, but Schiller and Goethe are more known for their writing. Uh, Goethe wrote Faust, and Schiller wrote the aesthetic education of man. So I'm going to guess one of the other two, <laughs> <laughs> but I can't say that I know precisely. Yeah. So I guess I have to be the tiebreaker here. This is a tricky one. This is mean, hard. Yeah. So you're going to go for Clemens Brentano or August Heinrich Hoffmann von Fallersleben? I will go with the last option of those. I'll, I'll concur. <laughs> <laughs> okay, guys, you are absolutely right. I know you didn't know that, but <laughs> you are correct. Oh, yes. Wow. Oh, von Fallersleben. <laughs> yes, yes. Good old August Heinrich Hoffmann. <laughs> so he was a poet and yep, the German national anthem is known as the Deutschland Lied or the Song of the Germans. There you go. <laughs> Last question and then we're going to finish up, okay? Frau Frost is a full-time employee at an office in Germany. Which of the following does not get deducted from her salary? Is it income tax, contributions to employee insurance, contributions to health insurance and pensions, or VAT? Well, VAT. Yeah. yeah, VAT, I believe, is only if you're a freelancer or self-employed, which she would not be if she's working at a German office. You are absolutely correct. Value-added tax, VAT, does not get deducted automatically from the rest of those we pay. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Listen, well done. You guys got most of those right. Statistically speaking, we could pass the test. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, there are only five questions. So, <laughs> so Sorry that you're, you're the only one of us that has to write it. <laughs> My apologies. Yeah, I mean, I'll have to do it at some point as well. Yeah, so. yeah. We'll you have guys one have of helped these. me. It's okay. We'll have one of these to, to do again. <laughs> Absolutely. Well done, both of you. 
So that's all we've got time for this week. Thank you very much to all our listeners. And as always, we'll add some links in the show notes for the topics we've been covering and check out the local Germany site as well. Thank you to this week's panelists, Rachel Stern and Aaron Burnett, as well as James Jackson and our sound engineer, Reese Edwards. You can follow us on Twitter. Our username is Germany in Focus. And don't forget to rate us and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm Rachel Loxon and I'll be back again next Friday with a new episode of Germany in Focus. Until then, take care. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.